1: using the cardinals game plan to this season for their own holiday shopping that is a question off the top here Pauly podcast throwing that out to darren urban kyle odegaard it is cardinals underground brought to you by pacific office automation proud partner of the arizona cardinals see here i'm making a late push guys just like the cardinals making a late push got behind a little bit uh i've strung together a, a couple of wins here i still need to finish strong I think the poly probability is in my favor. I will get it done, and it will get me into next season, if you will, the postseason. Uh, but there is one big challenge left, just like the Cardinals. The big challenge looms of the Rams, and they've gone winless against Sean McVay. I, I still have the big one out there that's looming, a gift for the wife. And so it's out there, the big one, the Week 17, uh, that could you know determine my playoff future around here at Casa Calvisi. Anybody else with me on this plan?
0: I, I got to be honest, Paul, when you first brought that up, I, I misinterpreted. I'm thinking, what, are you going to run the zone read at Target, like, to get the right, uh, you know, checkout line? That PS5. I was going to say, how, how is that going to exactly? You're throwing the back shoulder fade to your, your son while you're – Trying to get the gift certificates.
1: If, if I have to reenact my Leland high school days and that Ronnie Lot hit I put on in the Gunderson game that they're still talking about, I'll do it. I mean, if it gets me through the express lane, I'll redefine express lane if they need me to.
0: When you when you say they're still talking about it, you mean you're still talking about it, right? <laughs> that's
1: right. That's right. Don't don't make me go Uncle Rico. Okay, it's the <laughs> holiday season. I'm
2: already. That's already my New Year's resolution.
1: Okay, no Uncle Rico out there. My goodness.
2: I'm just wondering does it count as a late push if this is the schedule every single year since 1986 I mean <laughs> I think the I think the regular season has been moved for you Paul it's it's a 10 a 10 day window before Christmas is the entire season
1: yeah. Um, you know, it's it's just the football season in general. Uh, yeah, yours truly tends to get behind. There's no doubt about it. Apparently, I don't have as much vacation time at my disposal on the radio side as a certain other member of the Cardinals broadcast team. But we won't go there, affording him more than ample time to do all his holiday shopping while somebody has to hold up the fort. Anyway, <laughs> with that in mind, uh, gentlemen... Uh, The Cardinals do look like they have it in gear. And, And Kyle, did I see the math right? They do have a chance mathematically, potentially to clinch a playoff spot here in week 16 before you ever have to worry about hashtag beat L.A.
2: Yeah, they have a chance. If, if the Cardinals win and the Bears lose, then the Cardinals are into the playoffs. Uh, and, you know, the Cardinals are favored and they're expected to kind of take care of business against the 49ers team that is now having uh, C.J. Beathard at quarterback. But the problem is Chicago is playing Jacksonville, the second worst team in the NFL. So the Bears aren't huge favorites in that game, but obviously they're more talented than the Jaguars. So the, the likelihood of Jacksonville winning that game is pretty slim so it, more than likely it's going to go to week 17.
0: We already have to have a correction here because the Jaguars are technically the worst team in the NFL after the Jets won the Jaguars have the number one overall pick Trevor Lawrence. Come you know play. I
2: don't pay attention to win-loss records. <laughs> is, is there
1: yeah, those are
0: way to- overrated when it comes to the playoffs.
1: Since Clemson is off this weekend, getting ready for the semis, any chance Trevor Lawrence could already start a game for Jacksonville? Could, could maybe Trevor Lawrence actually step in
2: and try they'd to have a beat shot? beat the, <laughs> the Bears?
1: I, I like the Jags' chances a lot better than that. Oh my goodness! Uh, yeah, it's going to week 17. Let's be honest; it's going to go to week 17, and and we'll talk about that when week 17 is here. Uh, and the Rams, who did just manage to lose to the Jets, uh, but you know what? Things got dicey for the Cardinals. They're up sixteen, nothing. I I'm just going to tell you, very unscientific, no analytics on this. There was a palpable letdown on the sideline in terms of intensity and energy. And sure enough, it became a game. In fact, twenty-six all late in that fourth quarter, and then D-hop happened. The D and D-hop stood for dang, what a catch, and uh, and what a throw. You know, for Kyler to put it right where he could grab it and. And both were rewarded this week with uh, Pro Bowl honors there, Darren.
0: You know, it's funny when you bring – the, the touchdown catch was, was marvelous, of course. But the 44-yard reception earlier in that drive, that connection with DeAndre Hopkins somehow fending off the defender who probably could have been flagged at that point and kind of pushing off and posting up like a basketball player, making the catch on a nice dart from Kyler Murray and then running after the catch, I mean, that was, to me – Um, nearly as impressive and obviously as important because it put them down in a position to get that touchdown. Um, You know, it was just, I think you saw a lot of what everybody's hoping to see over the years with Kyler going to DeAndre Hopkins. And I know there's been a lot of discussion about whether they get DeAndre Hopkins, the ball enough. Uh, Clearly that was not a problem against the Eagles. Now, again, they had a shredded secondary and, 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 um, I think the 49ers are in a little bit better shape and the Rams are definitely better. So we'll see how the rest of this plays out.
1: Um, you know, Hop, the level of confidence. We've heard confident athletes before. But just the post-game presser is it, every bit as entertaining sometimes as one of his catches. And what was the question to him, Kyle, was when did you know that was a touchdown catch? And he said, as soon as it hit my fingertips. Yeah. I, I mean – You know, and then and then and then it was the earlier chunk catch that he rated top eight, the one he had in the first half. Correct. Correct. The one in traffic that he that he yanked down.
0: The Um, uh, the one that the one that looked like that jump ball that Fitz got in the playoffs in Carolina back in 2008.
1: Yes, absolutely. That was very reminiscent of Larry 2008 playoff run. There's there's no doubt about that. So what is your answer to that, Kyle? Should they
2: be getting him more targets? I think it's hard to say that the guy who leads the NFL in receiving yards needs more targets. It, it obviously works out well when you throw to him, but he's going to be the first read on a lot of these passing plays. And if you're not throwing it to him, it means he's getting bracketed or or covered in some other fashion where he's not open because I think Kyler Murray is learning like on that touchdown pass. If he's not open and I throw it, he's still going to catch it a lot of the time. And I think Kyler Murray is willing to throw it to him, even if it's one-on-one, no matter how it looks like. But when you have two guys over there, it's a little bit harder to force feed him the ball in that scenario. So I think I think it's fine. I think what they're doing is working well. Um, I mean, if, if DeAndre Hopkins is getting a bunch of attention, you should have some other options. And the Cardinals, no matter who caught the ball against the Eagles, they were churning the yardage pretty well with a lot of different guys. So you know, if, if everything is bogging down, then I get it. Maybe it does make sense to just feed him and feed him. But if you're moving the ball efficiently, I don't think you have to force it.
0: And, and I think that's, that's a, a nuance that's super important here, Paul, is the fact that you can't just say, get him the ball more in a vacuum. Or, you know, DeAndre admitted like, hey, I want the ball in every clutch situation. Well, of course you do, just like Fitz did once upon a time. I remember going back and looking, though, Uh, And and it's it's a little bit different of a situation, obviously, but, you know, all those years, even now when people say, what would Larry Fitzgerald's numbers have been had he played with great quarterbacks over the years? But if you look back at the number of targets he had and the number of catches he had, I'd be willing to bet his numbers wouldn't be that much bigger. Because if you would have had a better quarterback, you might have attracted a couple better receivers. You would have been a better team. You probably would have spread the ball around a little bit more. There was a there was one year. Uh, when he played with John Skelton, where like the last five games, I felt like the whole game plan was, well, the season's over. Let's, let's get Larry's biggest, uh, biggest stats as we can get. And they were throwing the ball like every other pass played to him. So it wasn't a question of targeting. It's a, it's a question to me about the nuance of where you are in the games and who's playing well and all that stuff. Now he played Deandre Hopkins played incredibly well this, this past weekend, but you know, The the same fans that are angry that DeAndre Hopkins doesn't get the ball enough are also saying, why aren't you throwing the ball more to Fitz? And why isn't Kyler running the ball more? So, I mean, there's only so many plays you got.
1: Well, it's America, Darren. More, more, more. We want more of everything. That's just the way it is around in in this country. Let's be honest. The pandemic or not, whether you got a winning record or not, whether you have two pro bowlers uh, we're talking about or not, people just want more. It's inherently the way we're geared up, and it's our DNA. Uh, You know, honestly – Kyle, once again, I'm making up analytics that, you know, it's, a, it's an amazing transformation. I, I really, I'm so ashamed of myself. And really, the fact that I was so anti-analytics to start this year, and now I'm actually trying to create more analytics. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm lost as a human being right now. Is there an analytic for contested catches? Contested catches. Because if there is an analytic for contested catches, just like sacks per snap that we were talking about with Gardeck starting a month ago, and we'll get to him in a minute, I'm going to say the Cardinals have to have three of the top 10 contested catch receivers in the league in D hop Fitz and Dan Arnold. And and for everyone who sits there and goes Monday morning quarterback from their couch, you know what? You, you have some good ammo. Hey, Kyler, just throw it in the general direction of D hop, just throw it in the general direction of Larry and when in doubt, just throw it up about seven feet in the air to Dan Arnold. And you know what? You'll have a 70% completion rate.
2: (laughs) Well, next gen stats does look at, yards of separation. So you could definitely filter that. I don't know the numbers offhand. And as much as I appreciate these guys catching contested passes, I'm not sure if they're three of the top ones in the entire NFL, because there's a lot of receivers in the NFL who make plays that we just don't see. Um, But I think clearly D hop is stands out to me as a guy who in traffic is going to come down with that ball more often than not. You know, Dan Arnold is a good example from that game where he did have a couple contested catches. He had a couple where he got hit and the ball came out a little bit. So I think, you know, it's kind of hit or miss with him sometimes, but I, I certainly feel like he has shown that ability and Kyler seems to be trusting him more in the last, you know, four or five games where he is giving him a lot of targets. But I just feel like Hopkins is on another plane from from Fitz and Arnold, where he's the guy at this point in his career where anything contested, as we h- saw with the Hail Mary, you know, you have a, you feel good about him catching it.
0: Although to be fair, Larry, Larry did, it wasn't necessarily contested the way we're probably talking about it, but that touchdown catch was vintage Larry Fitzgerald. I felt in a lot of ways, especially with the hands and the, the hands that were on display between DeAndre Hopkins and Larry Fitzgerald uh, on Sunday against the Eagles were, it was awesome to see.
1: And you know what? You weren't the only one, Darren. Did you see some of the headlines that were tweeted out? Uh, Mark Dalton, Cardinals VP, Philly guy. And he tweeted out the back pages in the Philly newspapers and the headlines. One read, Lost Game, Found QB. That was about Jalen Hurts and, and the Eagles. Another one was, L of an effort with the letter L uh, of an effort. And then the third one, dreaded duo, subheadline Eagles need targets like Hopkins and Fitzgerald. So, you know what, in, in this season of giving and season of appreciation, <laughs> give thanks around your tree this year for uh, D-Hop and Larry, some of their tar- targets at Kyler's disposal.
0: There was, uh, there was a tweet uh, from a Philly writer at some point, uh, right after the Fitz touchdown that said, they just said, uh, dot, dot, dot. And with Larry Fitzgerald continuing to, to haunt the Eagles here in the, in the year 2035, because obviously is a guy who has killed the Eagles over the years. That was his ninth touchdown against the Eagles. And that doesn't even include the NFC championship game. That's just in the regular season. And he's always seemed to find a way to come up with big catches. Now he was obviously overshadowed by Hopkins, but uh, I could, I could imagine if you're a Philadelphia fan, how frustrating it must be that Fitzgerald is still irritating you, especially when he didn't have a touchdown before that.
1: And by the way, that makes up for the Dallas game where he obviously should have had a touchdown in the back of the end zone, maybe the most. I mean, honestly, in a season, look, every season could be full of those plays. To me, that's the one play that's burned in my brain. I don't know why. It was, a the game was long over. It was a lopsided game, but that ball sailing over the head of Larry in the end zone in Dallas. Uh, So I know just, I mean, even from sitting there watching it at State Farm Stadium, you're like, okay, yes, at least they got him one. And according to Cliff Kingsbury, it was a point of emphasis during the week. Kyler brought it up. We got to get Larry the touchdown. What about Kyler right now? Kyle, in fact, you know, you see the numbers, the career high in passing yards, uh, the other stats minus the turnovers. We'll get to that in a minute. Just as a passer, where do you think he is? Is he playing some of the best ball of his career right now?
2: I mean, Passing game was certainly elite. I mean, 11.3 yards per attempt is fantastic. I think it was the seventh best yards per attempt figure in the NFL this season among any quarterback. So the fact that he can do that and has that high end arm talent, I mean, that's pretty special. That being said, it was against an Eagles secondary, which was missing a lot of pieces. And it's been so up and down this season that I'm not ready to say okay, Kyler Murray and the passing game is is clicking and, you know, this is kind of the version that we can expect moving forward because it's, it's hit this a couple times, the Jets game and the first Seahawks game. They were really rolling through the air and then it kind of came to a screeching halt. So I think they need to show that consistently the rest of the way. If they do, I think that raises the entire upside of this team, I think we've talked about it a lot this season. That's been the missing ingredient to me is that consistent passing game. But we saw in this one, it's a perfect example. The Cardinals didn't run the ball. They turned it over three times and didn't get a takeaway. And they still won the game and scored 33 points. So if you have an efficient passing game, it it solves a lot of problems for a team. And and this game is a good example. And I think the Cardinals are going to have to do that moving forward to, A, make the playoffs, and, B, have a chance at making a run.
1: Coach Kingsbury told us on his TV show that when you lose the turnover battle 3 nothing, your win probability is 8% in the NFL. So to say the Cardinals defied the odds and got the win uh, is an understatement right there. But the chunk plays were back. I know Coach Cliff cited that. He liked that about the passing game. Kyler's run game was back, had a rushing touchdown. Nighttime in single season where he's had a passing and rushing touchdown, breaking Cam Newton's single-season record. And just the number of receivers involved, Darren – Here's yet another analytic that I'd love to see out there Uh, when he gets eight to 10 receivers involved in a game, I think he's undefeated. I I can't prove that. I haven't, I don't have an intern at my disposal during the pandemic to crunch those numbers at some point we will, but it just seems to me when you see a whole bunch of names getting receptions to me, that's an indication of a healthy passing game.
0: I don't disagree. But again, I think when you get into the nuance, I guess to me, it's, it's a game by game thing. This, this goes back directly to what we were talking about earlier, Paul, which is it's awesome when you get eight to 10 receivers, but guess what happens when there's eight to 10 receivers? DeAndre Hopkins probably more times than not is not going to get the number of targets you think, or Larry Fitzgerald is not going to get the ball because you're spreading it out that much. You're only going to throw in a, in a, in a normal game, you're going to throw maybe 35 to 40 passes. And if you start talking about spreading that around to potentially 10 targets, then that takes down the, the possibilities. Now, in this case, obviously, they threw it to Hopkins quite a bit, the, you know, a quarter of the time and that's fine. But um, look, I I think, I think it comes down to the, the, this is the cliche that cliff likes to use and a lot of coaches like to use, but I agree with it, which is you go with what's working. And if it's working, you continue to go with it. And if that means some games, let's say Deandre Hopkins only has five catches, but the running game is going to churn out 180 yards. That's what's going to happen. And I know that, you know, Kobe Bryant of the football field DeAndre Hopkins might you know hesitate a little bit and wish that they went to him a little bit more but hey that's that's where it's going to go and that's one of the things let's say I appreciate with Fitz this year which is he has not said one thing about wanting to get the ball more and I kind of understood the last couple years when like last year was a new coach or two years ago when the offense was a hot mess where he wasn't going to say anything. But, I mean, it's dropped off the cliff in a lot of ways, and he doesn't say anything, and I appreciate that. I think that's more than just Fitz understanding where he stands right now. I think that's also understanding that when things are going well, he's probably not going to be up there. And and if they can win games, that's what it's going to be, and I think ultimately that's what they're trying to do.
1: When you say that, I think of all the analysts talking about the Cleveland Browns and ever since OBJ went out of the lineup and how Baker has been a different quarterback. He just finds the guy who's open. He just runs the offense. He, he's not concerned or has uh, some sort of objective to get it strictly to OBJ and then go from there. So, yeah, I would agree with that. By the way, not to bury the lead, or we could have saved this for the very end, but speaking of Larry, are we talking about his finale at home, week 16, <laughs> against the 49ers, no fans, no 10 minutes standing ovation? I brought that up on the air earlier this morning, and it seemed to take everybody by surprise because for seemingly three, four, five years, we've been asking the question, is is Larry done? Is he retiring? And and he goes on. So I think there's just sort of this expectation he's coming back next year because that's what he's done the last three, four, five years. But we don't know the answer either way on this. And I do wonder, wait a minute, uh, could this be it in the final game ever in his home stadium?
0: I, I honestly, I, I, I hope not for a lot of reasons, uh, partly because I think he deserves all the things you're saying he's going to miss uh, if there's no crowd. Um, I do think that the, the fact that this team is trending upward is going to pull at him to want to come back and maybe, because I, I never thought this year was the year. I thought it was going to be next year, potentially. Does Larry really want to walk out then? The other question, though, when you talk about timing. This is going to be a tough offseason for every NFL team in terms of managing the cap and getting the kind of team they want together. And I love Larry and I know he loves his contracts and I, the way it's set up right now, I do not see, and I could be way off base on this and nobody has said anything. I find it hard to believe that you're going to be able to sign Larry to an $11 million contract next year when the salary cap is going to go down uh, 23 million dollars, and you you've only got 33 guys under contract for next year as it stands. I, I just if he comes back, I'm just thinking he's going to have to agree to pay play for again less. Is he willing to do that? There's just a lot of things involved there uh, to make me make you wonder a little bit.
1: Uh, and we talked about this on the air. So many reasons to get to the postseason for the first time since 2015, but there's no better way to send Larry out. Than with a playoff game because there's nobody better in the postseason than larry legend and so if they do indeed make the playoffs does that make it more likely he comes back or less likely because that's a great platform to call it a career it makes me wonder
2: yeah i think it would be it'd be tough to make it you know so close than not make the postseason but at the same time if you make the playoffs And especially if you win a game, then you're going to feel like, man, this team is close, and I want to come back and try to win a Super Bowl. And I I mean, I think there's a lot of different factors. His his decline in production this season, I think, is a significant factor now, where he's been. I mean, last year he was the team's leading receiver, and this year he's more of a you know third or fourth option. So how does that play into his thinking? How does that play into the team's thinking? There's, I, I feel like. This time around, it's a lot different of a scenario than it's been the last few years when he's clearly still been their number one or number two guy receiving-wise.
0: The funny thing is, though, when you look at the cat, I mean, he's only, he's third on the team in catches, but he's only one uh, fewer than Chase Edmonds. I mean, in terms of actually making catches, he's still the number two guy in terms of the wideouts, which I don't know how much that says about him and how much it says about where the rest of the wideouts are, but I mean... Uh, he can make the argument that when they do go to him, he's, he's got it, you know?
1: And he was the second leading receiver when he went on the COVID list and how much attention does he still generate and garner from opposing defensive backfields just cause he is Larry legend. And he's wearing that number 11. How much does that free up other guys? How much has that been the key to the passing game clicking the last couple of games with the return of Larry? And then, yeah, you're right. Christian Kirk, what is it, I think 10 catches over the last four games. So there hasn't been a lot of production there, obviously. And and they're going to try and continue to, you know, get his production level up. Um, so I just throw that out there. And I'm going to keep an eye on Larry at the end of the game. I don't know what that means. We know Larry, he's not one for sentimentality or any of that sort of pomp and circumstance. But I am curious how he leaves that field on Saturday after the Niners game.
0: Well, we don't want to talk about it too much right now, Paul, because we – I mean, let's face it, that's basically our podcast for the first three weeks of the offseason usually is
1: what Larry <laughs> going right. so. That's right. That's right. We get, the, we get the plot map going and we start uh, you know <laughs> start tracking everything. You're right. And we get conspiracy theories and everything. So, you know what, um, I'll tell you what, there, there was the image of Larry as a lead blocker on the sweep, okay? That, that's a Bernie image from that game, along with D-Hop's touchdown catch, Larry's touchdown catch. And then there's Dennis Gardeck and there's Dennis Gardeck and his two sacks and other guys now doing his sack dance, hit the strobe. But there's also the Dennis Gardeck and somebody tweeted it out. I was so glad they did, but they actually clipped off the beginning of it where he's barnstorming, mugging the A-gap and somebody hooks him from behind and basically horse collars him and throws him almost entirely to the ground. And it was some sort of screen pass. So boom, he's in the backfield on one knee after he got thrown down by the horse collar, gets up and hightails it just like he's on special teams and trying to chase down a punt returner. And he did, he got the ball carry after about a 20 yard gain, unbelievable motor. I think Cliff Kingsbury cited it right with the media. He's going to show that as a piece of game film. Thing is, we don't know Dennis Gardak as of this recording, exactly where his uh, status is going forward. All we do know is he's made a heck of an impression so far. Has he not Kyle?
2: Yeah. And and there's, you know, there's try hard guys in the NFL that are just a tick slow and, As hard as they try, they just can't make the plays. But one thing about Dennis Gardeck is he's got really, really nice speed for a linebacker. So he was able to track down a receiver in that scenario. The big question was him was, is he big enough to be an edge rusher? And everybody thought, no, he's listed at six foot. I mean, is he even six foot? And there aren't many sub six foot outside linebackers in the NFL. So it was very natural to wonder if he could do anything defensively. And the fact that he got two sacks in the game where he replaces Chandler Jones, he has seven on the season in 93 defensive snaps, which is just mind blowing. hes He has more sacks than J.J. Watt, Chase Young, Demarcus Lawrence, like all these elite edge rushers or pass rushers and Dennis Gardeck has more sacks than any of them so yeah I mean seeing him get carted off was was not a good thing and usually you know those can be very serious injuries considering there's only two games left you have to wonder will he be back this season you know hopefully for his sake for the pass rush's sake we see him again, but if not, I mean, it, it was an incredible run for him to go from a special teamer, an undrafted guy, to all of a sudden this important piece on defense in pass rushing situations.
0: It's it's fascinating to me if you think about it, Paul. I mean, uh, even Vance Joseph admitted last week he was kind of thinking, "Oh crap," when Chandler Jones got hurt, uh, and we sit here right now with two games to go, and last season that the trio of Chandler Jones and Hassan Reddick and Dennis Gardek combined for 20 sacks. And this year, the trio of Chandler Jones and Hassan Reddick and Dennis Gardeck have, with two games left, have combined for 19 sacks. So for the the ability of these two guys to fill in this production, and obviously Chandler had 19 sacks last year, but the point being they were able to get this production that there's no way you could have predicted. Uh, with Reddick and, and Gardek and I just think it's amazing. And you, you talk about the future and what they're going to do money-wise when it comes to fits and all that stuff. That's another one that we could probably spend a whole podcast on. I mean, right now, um, Chandler Jones has got a year left on his contract. De- uh, Devon Kennard's got two, um, and he's an interesting case too. But Marcus Golden and Hassan Reddick are both unrestricted free agents to be, and Dennis Gardek is a restricted free agent to be. So y- the guys that have really – Gotten you through this time, pass rushing wise, this season. They're all un- not under contract for next year. And it's going to be very interesting to see how the Cardinals play all that.
1: I'll give you a dramatic reenactment of the second half against the Eagles uh, for Polly Pencilneck. I'm there in the front row, and Gardak checks into the game. And I literally said in my microphone to Jim Omahondro off air, Oh, Gardak's in. It's like, I'm on the edge of my seat. I'm ready. It's like, I, I need the old school picture in picture. I need Gardak in the sub picture. And so I'm keeping half an eye on 45, and I'm watching the play, and he's coming off the right side of the Eagles' O-line. And I just looked it up. Matt Pryor, who's the normal guard, he's their third-string tackle, he's listed as 6'7", 340. (laughs) Did you guys see the image of Tiger Woods playing with his son? Yes. (laughs) The the size difference would be if, like, Charlie was pass-rushing Eldrick. And Charlie's trying to pass rush Eldrick and he's trying to do this long arm stab and he's got the arm up into the guy's shoulder pads and he's getting completely swallowed up by dad, except he's a six, seven offensive lineman and just the imagery of it. And somehow he sheds him and skits around him into the backfield. Now the pass is already gone, but just, just watching him is, is highly entertaining uh, Dennis Gardak. So I don't know what they're going to do, but uh he's sort of like in basketball darren like the Suns used to have those fan favorites right like the guys like who would come in and just be like the rebounder guys and fling themselves all over the court he, he reminds me of one of those fan favorites in basketball who just come in as a power forward and just sort of be the muscle and just start giving guys elbows to the chops
0: what's funny is is you talk about a guy gardick being a fan favorite it's it's like and and to kind of go a little sons-ish if you're if you're going to but it, but it, it's like you you have this fan favorite it's like Lou Almondson and then all of a sudden yes. you realize he you realize he's not Lou Almondson he's he's more like freaking Mark West who can be a starter and all of a sudden give you more than you ever expected uh given given his his skill set and uh or Tyrone Tyrone Corbin for back in the day or one of these guys that like you just weren't expecting that and and hey i you can't there's nobody you could root more for than again these guys we talked about we talked about it last week whether it's marcus golden or dennis Gardeck or hassan reddick these are the guys you really root for to succeed
1: maybe he's dennis rodman minus the piercings and the tattoos you know i don't know it's uh, if you if you want to go with a, a hoops analogy here's the other guy who who showed up and we just kept tracking his stats during the game. And for Zach Allen to end up with 11 tackles and a sack and one and a half tackles for a loss and a quarterback hit and a pass defense, I think um, I think it was Ken Summers who put it outside of Pro Football Reference, Kyle, that only three defensive linemen since 2016 have had 11 tackles or more in a game. And Zach Allen's not one of them. Yeah, his
2: run defense throughout the entire game was super solid, and I mean, you look at his draft pedigree, he's had a lot of injuries, but he was the first pick of the third round a couple years ago. He's a guy that you do expect to be this, uh, you know, kind of difference maker on that defensive line because of the draft capital you spent on him. Hasn't happened to this point, but you're right. That was a great game for him, and it's funny seeing all the guys that, had big games in that one and we're talking about hassan reddick and dennis gardek and zach allen when we thought it was going to be Corey peters and jordan phillips and chandler jones and devon <laughs> Kennard, it's a completely new group but it's hard finding a more effective group than we've seen the last two weeks with a bunch of guys that we did not expect
1: you I'll, I'll be straight up with it zach allen great guy but at the end of last year and he had the neck injury and he just didn't look right even when you saw him in the locker room and, and he was kind of – you could tell, well, man, is he big enough? Is he strong enough? Is he fast enough? Now he's injured. He had a heck of an offseason because he is bigger and stronger. And obviously his conditioning is such that he was dominating. I don't know how many snaps he played in that game, but it didn't seem like he came out a whole bunch. And he had a heck of a motor in that game. So, And he's exactly what they need right now, uh, Darren. On that defensive front, knock on wood because they are so banged up in there. Jordan Phillips. Now, Jordan Phillips is not eligible for the postseason. Knock on wood again if the Cardinals go.
0: No, because they put him on injured reserve for a second time, and and the rules are you can come back from injured reserve, but if you go there for a second time, that's that's it. You get it's a one time only thing. So once they put him on injured reserve the second time, they knew they were basically eliminating him from returning.
1: Uh, And then Isaiah Simmons was the other guy you had to keep an eye on in that defense. Uh, Right, Kyle? I mean, break down the different positions he played because remember (laughs) we go back to the preseason. Oh no, we're just going to break him in at one position. Uh, Hashtag sandbagging for everybody out
2: there around the rest of the NFL. Yeah. It's probably faster. If I break down the positions, he didn't play on defense, (laughs) but but yeah, I mean, just seeing him start at free safety from the very first snap, he played there a lot. And then you see, I don't know if it was in the first series or not, but in the first quarter, definitely he was at outside linebacker for snaps. And that's definitely like the, the scouts dream of Isaiah Simmons where he's playing outside backer and safety and inside backer nickel back. I mean, he was, he was everywhere. and He didn't have an outstanding game, but he showed that he can play a lot of those different positions. He's clearly got a different type of speed and a different type of length than your average football player. So I think, the ceiling for a guy like that is very high. And the fact that he did well in coverage pro football focus charged him with the 32 yard bubble screen touchdown. And it did look like he went the wrong way on that, but certainly there were six guys in the area that didn't make the tackle. Other than that, they didn't say there was a completed pass against Isaiah Simmons in 32 coverage snaps. So um, he's, he's doing a nice job in coverage. He obviously has the type of speed to track down running backs and quarterbacks um, so yeah, he, he had an impressive showing. I'd love to get
1: an answer on that, by the way, on that, on that 32 yard wide receiver screen that hit the uh, sideline because uh, Vance Joseph had a long conversation with Drake Kirkpatrick after that play on the sideline, Darren. And then, uh, I've seen Patrick Peterson blamed by some analysts for that touchdown. But to Kyle's point, uh, there probably were about a half dozen different guys over the course of that thing that could have made a tackle.
0: Yeah, I mean it, that that play was and and let's not take anything away from Watkins who made a fantastic move to get clear of everybody. I mean, there was a lot of things that that went wrong on that particular play. I, I it just it went to a bigger thing where it, it feels like there's been a couple times defensively not just against the Eagles, but recent times where a team is facing third and super long and I understand that you don't you play soft a little bit to because you don't want to get, give something up over the top, but it feels like they're they're playing so soft that you take it, it goes from third and forever to fourth and manageable. And in this day and age where teams are willing to go for it on fourth and one, fourth and two, fourth and three, I feel like defenses have to start thinking about that a little bit more. I mean, on that play, all the Eagles were trying to do is get a little bit closer for the field goal and you got to make sure you make it. So that this, that play in particular with the, that score the touchdown might not fall into this this thing, but it's been something that's kind of weighing on me. It's like you got to make sure that you can, you don't let a team get into a fourth and three situation after it was third and twenty one, because then all of a sudden they might go for it, and you think okay, as long as we get them to fourth down, we're going to get the ball back, and that's not true anymore. And I think defenses are going to have to start uh, accounting for that going forward.
1: I mean, you don't have to be Greg Williams of the Jets and bring the house, you know, <laughs> in, in that sort of situation, obviously. And cost you uh, the team's win and your job, but but yeah, I, I'm with you. It does seem like we're not going to call it a brief prevent because that's the third rail with a lot of coaches, but it does seem like it's definitely a little too soft. The other thing that that I wonder about, Kyle, is you look at this matchup, and it, I looked at some of my game notes from week one, and all these glowing accolades on the 49ers like they return 18 of 22 starters from the NFC championship team. Well. They're now the second team in the last 13 years to be the Super Bowl runner-up and finished with a losing record the year after. So it's been quite the before and after for the 49ers, and I'm not sure what it does to the relevance of that week one game going into this one.
2: Right. I mean, and yet it's no fault of their own. I mean, they were just absolutely hammered by all of these injuries. And and I think the way the Cardinals won that first game and they – a lot of credit for it i don't think we should take that away at all because that was pretty close to a full strength 49ers team nick bozo was still there jimmy g richard sherman all those guys were healthy they didn't have devo samuel and didn't have brandon ayuk but everybody else i think was basically playing so that was a very important win early on for the cardinals and yeah this iteration is not the same 49ers team even if george kittle does come back you're looking at as. Their quarterback and the Cardinals have roughed him up pretty good in four meetings of his career. So certainly the Cardinals will be favored to win this game and they just have to take care of business because we know with a loss things get a lot dicier when it comes to the playoffs and knowing that the Rams are looming and if you have to win that game to get in that that's not an easy place to win. So obviously this is a game that the Cardinals certainly need to take care of business.
1: Wait, not to put you on the spot, the Cardinals have played C.J. Beathard four times. Is is that what you said?
2: Yeah, I was just looking up the pro football reference stuff. I don't know if he started every single game, but he was, he's been their quarterback a lot because Garoppolo's been injured a lot. I mean, the, it seems like every single time the Cardinals and Niners play, there's like an 80% chance that there's a backup quarterback in there for San Francisco. There, there was a stretch.
0: Obviously, it's well before Kyle Shanahan got there, but there was a stretch there where the 49ers must have started a different quarterback like and and I've been doing this for so long I can't remember when the time frame was but they started a different quarterback like 7 games in a row against the cardinals and this is a team that's playing the cardinals twice a year so you wow. would think in one year it would stay the same and they just kept the, between injuries and ineffectiveness and whatever and and obviously you know we talked to Kyle Shanahan on the conference call and he was talking about how you know, since he's been there or since Garoppolo's been there, he's been healthy for one season, which was wow. last yeah. season. You know, right. other than that, he's hurt.
1: The one season he was fully healthy, they made a run to the Super Bowl, although in the NFC championship game, he threw all of eight passes. Right. So yeah, it's, it's it's this conundrum, Niners fans and, and Jimmy G and what exactly his future is. And remember, they can still get out of his contract with like four million dollar cap hit after this year.
0: Breaking news, too, uh, as we're recording this, um, they have uh, Josh Johnson was on the practice squad. He had to go on the COVID list. Grappolo's not ready to come back. Uh, Nick Mullins had to have season-ending surgery, so that's why Bethard is starting. To have a backup quarterback against the Cardinals, they had to go off to a practice squad and sign a quarterback. Any guesses? Josh Rosen will be the 49ers backup quarterback this week.
1: <laughs> <laughs> that's great. Oh, my gosh. If I if this Zoom thing had a mic, that would be your drop right there. That'd be your <laughs> mic drop. Dan. We'd end this thing right on that. Wow, Josh, uh, that's that's good stuff. That that is good. So what what, what what's the over under on the number of uh, network TV cutaways of Josh Rosen on the Niners sideline? So yeah, that that'll be happening. Wow, that's interesting. Well, you know what? They better figure something out because if my count is right, they have twenty two turnovers in the last eight games. Yikes! and. and And they've averaged at least two turnovers per game for eight straight games. It's been consistently woeful. So uh, the Niners, that's how the Niners get to five and nine. And uh, you know what else is intriguing if you know your Niners history? And you tell me, Kyle, if this has an application to the Arizona Cardinals and Cliff Kingsbury or not. The late, great Bill Walsh, Hall of Famer, who I think we all agree redefined offense in the NFL, started 0-7. He started 0-7 his first year with the Niners. By year three, the 1981 season, he won his first Super Bowl with Joe Montana. I'm not saying the Cardinals are tracking in that direction and, and by year three next, next year, but I, I think it's worth noting that sometimes when you're trying to innovate something, and the Cardinals are to a degree. Other teams are doing similar things to the Arizona Cardinals, but what they're doing with Kyler Murray, his skill set, his body type, And the manner in which you're trying to do it has not really been attempted before in the NFL, if we had zoom out for a moment. And and it makes me think of those Bill Walsh days, the late 70s, where he took over a horrendous Niners program and and started slowly. But guess what? Uh, After he got some of his players in and got the playbook installed, boom, they took off.
2: I think it's hard to argue with the Cardinals' trajectory. I mean, like you said, when Cliff Kingsbury got here, the Cardinals were coming off a season when they had a negative 200-point differential, which was the worst in the NFL. And, I mean, the worst team in the NFL sometimes doesn't have that bad of a point differential, so it was one of the bad worst teams, if you will. And then last year there was market improvement, and this year they're plus 62 in point differential, which if they they stay on this pace – They're going to have the second best point differential of any team since the Cardinals moved to Arizona behind only the 2015 Cardinals. So there's been obviously the Super Bowl run, the team after that that went 10-6, and the Cardinals in 2014 and 2013 and 2016 were pretty good. This point differential is better than all those teams. So I think if you look at it at a broad view like that, they're certainly heading in the right direction. I mean, we'll see what the top end is. Can they keep taking these steps forward? I mean, you can easily plateau or go the other way as a coach. It, that remains to be seen. But anybody you know, questioning the, the process of hiring Kingsbury or drafting Murray, I mean, the proof is here that these first two years have been very successful.
1: What else, Darren? What else do we miss? Any other breaking news? You know, anything else happening <laughs> over there? I mean, it's not often we get breaking news in a podcast,
2: but uh... Here,
0: here's the here's the best part. Paul is uh, Rosen when he comes to practice this week. He's going to stay in the Renaissance over there at the whole, <laughs> at, in Glendale, and he's going to practice right outside. the street. It's all good.
1: That's right. Oh, Time is a
2: flat circle. <laughs>
1: I'm glad I asked because you're absolutely right. He'll be able to tell everyone else what's up in the Glendale area. You know? <laughs> so, oh my, And you're right. They've been here for about a month, if memory yeah. serves, the 49ers. And they've been basically pulling a Cardinals camp uh, for the 49ers. They lost their first two games and they went on the road and they lost to Dallas and four turnovers uh, ended up <laughs> Dallas ended up with a 40 burger on the board. It's hard to believe. It's going to be interesting
0: this week. My understanding is is that the the because it's Christmas week, they were allowed to get some of their family out uh, to visit them uh, this week. And you just wonder, does that make it better for them for this game? Does it make it harder? Are the distractions there? I mean, there's there's talk George Kittle could end up playing this week, but Garoppolo is not going to play, and and it just it. I I've been around some teams that have had the wheels fall off at the end of the season. And this just really feels like it's a chance for the wheels to fall off.
1: You know, there were reports out of the Bay area when they first showed up uh, over there that the Niners couldn't believe that restaurants were open, movie theaters were open because oh. that is not the case in Santa Clara County. And so it, they found it somewhat ironical, if you will, that they had been relocated to an area that didn't have nearly as stringent COVID protocols and measures in place. And because of that, they have been strictly prohibited to the stadium and or the hotel, from my understanding.
2: So. Yeah, it's got to be pretty tough to, to be out from your home and, and just be kind of stuck. It's almost like the NBA bubble where you're just in the one spot, but there's certainly less type of arrangements in Glendale than that they had in Orlando. So it's it's probably a trying few weeks for those guys.
1: All right, well, uh if that's going to do it, I have to go check in with the kids. I tasked them since they're off school to figure out uh three solid gift suggestions for the wife, okay? And uh I have to now see what they've come up with. There was an early suggestion that I had a squash of getting the Mrs. a Roomba. And I said, "Okay, there's no chance any sort of cleaning device uh, will be purchased <laughs> because you know where my room will be the garage. So yeah, that's, that's, that, that's, that's, that's exactly right. No that whatsoever. So uh, you guys have my number. If you have any value added suggestions, please uh, let me know. Uh, I'm always appreciative. I don't know about you guys as married men. I just don't have it in me. I mean, you know, you store with Valentine's day and you got mother's day and you got her birthday and you got the anniversary, you got Christmas, five gifts a year, year after year. I don't have it in me anymore. I just don't.
0: Yeah, have, uh, you, you get, you're you married for 25, 26, 27 years. You start running out of ideas.
2: I <laughs> see so you do. I ran out of ideas in year one, so I'm struggling <laughs> too. <laughs> That's not complimentary football right there. Can
1: no help from Darren Urban and Kyle Odegaard. And that'll do it for this edition of Cardinals Underground, brought to you by Pacific Office Automation, proud partner of the Arizona Cardinals.